Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of College Hockey Talk. On today's episode, I'm joined by former Wisconsin women's hockey player, Lauren Williams. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, things are going well. You know, it's it's nice to get a little bit of a break from the rink in uh, in the offseason, and the May dead period is always a good time to just relax, but it kicks right back up again. So I guess I'm taking uh, or getting the most out of it right now, which is nice. So I now want to transition and sort of talk about your hockey career and uh, your time with Wisconsin. So obviously from the research that I did on yourself, it says that you're from Windsor, Ontario. So talk about growing up there and how did you start playing hockey? Uh, so Windsor, Ontario is kind of like a, a, a big, small town, right? It's, I think when I was growing up, we had around 200,000 people and hockey was definitely a big thing. My older brother played. And I essentially got tired of getting carted around to a cold rink all the time. Um, so I asked my parents if I could play and I got thrown into his hand-me-downs and absolutely fell in love with the game. Um, I really enjoyed the idea of learning something new every day. And I'm always someone who's loved working hard at things. So I kind of got both of those uh, things fulfilled with hockey um, but yeah, I grew up, I started playing boys, um, and I played boys all the way up until, um, I think my peewee year and then made the transition over to girls and actually met a couple of, uh, women that I ended up playing in college against, uh, from Windsor as well. So yeah, it was, I don't know, it was a good start, pretty, uh, stereotypical Canadian, had an older brother, got into it because of him kind of thing. Yeah. The only thing I know about Windsor is Taylor Hall because he played junior hockey there. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who was your favorite player growing up? I'm assuming it was probably someone on the Leafs, if I had to guess. No, see, I always throw people for a curveball with this. Uh, my favorite team's Calgary. Oh wow. Oh yeah. Yeah, really out of uh left field. Uh, my favorite player was Jerome McGinley. Nice. That's mm -hmm. really cool. Is it weird mm -hmm. seeing his daughter play off at Brown University? We actually played against them earlier this year um, as one of our exhibition games. And yeah, it was kind of, <laughs> kind of strange, but I think it's great that she's in the game and she's obviously insanely talented. Uh, Apple doesn't fall far from the tree there, but uh, yeah, it's pretty full circle for sure. It seems like the hockey gene definitely is on all of Jerome McGinley's kids because I saw that one of his <laughs> sons got drafted to the WAHL. So we'll be seeing more of them, I feel like, in the near future. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Now, before uh, college hockey, you played uh, in the PWHL for two organizations, the Southwest Wildcats and the Whitby Wolves. I guess, how'd you get the opportunity to join that league? And uh, what's that process like? Because obviously, as an American, I'm sort of unfamiliar with that. Mostly, you just go to a prep school or play for right. a public high school if you're from Minnesota. So, yeah. Um, so in Windsor, um, there was a lot of, of girls hockey. And then obviously the Southwest Wildcats was like our junior team. Um, and I was going into ninth grade and then played a couple seasons with the girls. And uh, there was a female coach in Windsor who kind of said, you know, I think you should come out to the tryout and see how you do. I was way underage um, for the players that normally compete in that league. But um, I guess I had a good tryout, ended up making it um, and missed or almost missed the age cutoff by like two days or something. Um, so yeah, got my first, my kind of my first kick at the can there. And the first year in it was a huge developmental year for me um, and definitely 
pushed me mentally, I think. I wasn't the most confident kid in the world. So playing against um, women who are, you know, upwards of 21 years old when you're 14 was pretty intimidating. But um, I'm forever thankful for that organization for giving me a, an early start. And how did your sort of time in the PAWHL help prepare you for college hockey with Wisconsin? I'm assuming playing against those older players must really help prepare for you, prepare because once you get to college, you're sort of in that same situation again as a freshman. Yeah. Um, I think the PWHL, now it's called uh, U22 Elite in Ontario. It really was where all the best players in Ontario were, were playing on the female side anyways. Um, so when you get to play against the best of the best every day, um, it pushes you to be better. And when you're playing in that league, you know that there's someone in the stands almost every game. Um, the exposure is great. And uh, college coaches really do a good job of of getting to those games to watch. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it prepared me in the sense of knowing that the pressure was there and having that idea of where I wanted to go. But I kind of have a unique story in that I really didn't know much about the NCAA. Um, I remember in, you know, ninth and 10th grade, starting to get my first letters from colleges and having no idea that there was women's hockey there. So, um, yeah. <laughs> What's like the best memory you have from your Whitby Wolves or Southwest Wildcat hockey days when you look back on it now? Um, that's such a good question. I think some of the like the best memories I have from my days in Whippy were um, we used to work out before practices. We only practiced twice a week and then we'd have workouts with the team once a week. And we had a really, really good group the two years that I was there. Um, girls that worked really hard, but also knew how to goof off and joke around. And it was something I really looked forward to every week. But um, while I was there, we won the league both years. So there were bits of the process that I loved, but definitely getting that uh, end of the season reward for all the hard work was was pretty remarkable. Now talk about your recruitment process to Wisconsin. Like you mentioned, you didn't really know too much about college hockey. So uh, how did Wisconsin reach out to you? And when did you sort of find out that that's like one of the best uh, women's college hockey programs to sort of be a part <laughs> of? Yeah, um, uh, my recruiting process was, uh, hmm. Let's just say I didn't plan on ending up at Wisconsin. Um, I had really kind of had my heart set on going to an Ivy League school. Um, I was really interested in Yale and Dartmouth because um, I knew that, you know, I wasn't going to be able to make a living playing hockey. So I wanted to get a great education, um, but I couldn't afford it. The tuition just didn't really make sense with the U.S. exchange rate in Canada um, so before I knew it, I was ending my 11th grade year without a place to go. And all of my teammates were all committed. So I was really nervous. And I remember my mom saying at one point, you know what, I'm just going to email a bunch of schools and we'll see who gets back to us. Cause people might think that you've committed already. You never know. And I'm sitting there going like, oh man, someone's just about to get bombarded with emails from my mom. It's going to be <laughs> so awkward. Um, but then I ended up getting an email back from uh, Jackie Friesen at Wisconsin. And I, the first thing I said to my mom was, why would I want to go to a school like that? It's huge. I had always wanted a smaller school. And she goes, Lauren, I did some research. They look really good. You should probably go on a visit. 
So I ended up going for the visit, absolutely fell in love with the campus, um, met the coaching staff, loved them. Obviously getting to meet Mark was, was huge. Um, such a kind person really knows his hockey, obviously. Um, but yeah, I remember sitting at breakfast with them, uh, the last day of my visit and it kind of just got quiet for a second. And I, and I just said, yeah, so I want to go here. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, that's how it happened. I committed, um, September or October of my senior year. So I was a relatively late commit. That's pretty normal though, for like most high school students, that's when they decide to go to college is like that fall. So it's kind of funny yeah. hearing from an athlete side. It's like, oh, that's so late, even though that's how most people, that's when they decide to go to college. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. What was like sort of the biggest adjustment you had to make to college hockey as a freshman? Um, I would say it was kind of like twofold, the speed and the physicality. Um, when you're playing in high school, teams would often have one or the other. But then you you get into college and you're dealing with women who've been playing for four years now. And they've also had, you know, four years of strength and conditioning workouts that are just at a whole other level. Um, I remember, you know, being a freshman going up against Blair Turnbull and just getting absolutely rocked consistently. Um, And I'm not a small person like I'm five, nine. So, um, yeah, definitely met my, met my match my freshman year in terms of realizing how much work I still had to do in the gym and, um, you know, being able to put the two parts of my game together that way, where I was still fast, but I was also stable on the ice because there was a lot more physicality in college hockey. And you also play in the WCHA, and I'm not sure how big the conference was when you played, but it was kind of funny looking back on some of your old games and seeing like North Dakota be involved. It's like, oh, I forgot yeah. that they had a women's hockey team. But what was the WCHA like when you were playing uh, with Wisconsin? Because it seemed to me it was pretty much you and Minnesota sort of ruled that conference back in the day. Yeah, um, it's when you look back on it, yeah, especially with North Dakota, Um North Dakota was probably one of the grittiest teams that I ever played against. They were physical, they were chippy, but they were also skilled. Um, And if I were to describe the WCHA, it was fast, physical, and skilled, right? Like you had players on every team that filled all three of those categories. Um, And even though it was, for the most of it, either us or Minnesota really vying for that one-two position, you could never take a weekend off because the other teams learned how to play you, right? They learned how to develop systems that frustrated a skilled team like we had. So you go to Bemidji and you knew that you were in for two games because they were going to try to work around you as much as possible and teams get really opportunistic. So I think oftentimes some of the hardest games that we played were against, you know, St. Cloud and Bemidji Um, And sometimes even Minnesota State later on in my career really started to kick things up. So as much as, yeah, that one, two spot was um, kind of where we lived for the most of all my seasons, there were teams that made serious plays and obviously Ohio State as well. They just continued to grow throughout my four years and um, moved into that, you know, I think at one point they were at one while I was there and yeah, it was it was really competitive and a lot of fun. 
Yeah, Ohio State was sort of the craziest team looking back on it because they were sort of a doormat, it looked like, uh, throughout some of the years. And then obviously Mazarol showed up and the program really started to take a change since then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and one of uh, my teammates from Whitby, Cassie Sove, was uh, the goalie there. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, even hearing her talk about the development of it. And then uh, we ended up getting a transfer from Ohio, um, Claudia Kepler. and just hearing about how committed Muzzy was to making that program what it is today and utilizing her skills to bring those players in. Um, it's amazing. I'm I'm really happy to see them doing well, but yeah, it's definitely been a huge kind of growth period for them as a program. Have you noticed any changes with the WCHA since you uh, last played? Is it different or is it relatively the same? I feel like there's just more skilled teams now, like, Minnesota Duluth is like now a top team. Um, obviously Ohio State. So you sort of have those skilled teams starting. You see, you see a lot of like skilled players starting to join teams outside of Wisconsin, Minnesota. It feels like. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the kids growing up in hockey right now have so much more skill <laughs> than like my generation had, and I think you can attribute it to a lot of things, right? From the Connor Bedards of the world that. Um, these kids grow up watching like their highlight reels on Instagram and they just initially go right into that. I want to learn how to do that thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's spot on. There's way more skilled players now. Um, and it's really exciting to watch. Now, during your freshman year, you won your first uh, WCHA championship beating Bemidji state, the team that you sort of mentioned. So talk Mm -hmm. about winning that trophy for the first time and sort of what it meant to you. Yeah, that first year um, was so exciting for the team. Um, and I had kind of come from Whitby where we had won our our league championship as well. Um, but it was, it was uh, for me personally, a little bit of like a mixed bucket of emotions. I was really struggling mentally at the time with, you know, making that jump and, and not being the go-to player that I had been for my whole career. Um, and actually getting scratched that game. So I didn't play. Um, and it was uh, amazing to to see my teammates, but personally very hard for me at times. Um, and when I look back on my career, I think that day was one of the kind of turning points for me as a player where I realized that I needed to work on the mental side of things um, because I wasn't as happy as I wanted to be. And I remember feeling like so hungry to get after it again. But um, yeah, it was it was an amazing experience. Nonetheless, getting to uh, look into the stands and see the band playing for us and kind of giving getting to give them a salute was was really, really awesome as well. But yeah, definitely a little bit of a mixed bag of emotions for me. Did you get to play in the tournament that year? Yes. Yep. So mm-hmm. I just want to ask, you played Boston College at Laban for the first time as a, in a tournament game. Uh, talk about what you learned from your first just tournament experience, going to the Frozen Four and playing Minnesota in Minneapolis nonetheless. So what was that whole thing like for you? Yeah, Boston University. Boston University, we played at Laban. Oh, it said Boston College on the website. Maybe they messed up. So. Oh, yeah. No, the only reason why I remember that is because we were playing against Marie-Philippe Pouin. Oh, Okay. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I remember, you know, preparing for that game and, 
you're obviously like we were coming in as the number one seed and then they were coming to us and our scouting session for it. Half of it was just clips of Pooh, just absolutely doing her thing. And then trying to figure out what we were going to do to dampen that a little bit. Like, not like you can really control her at all, but um, no, it was, it was amazing. It was one of the, the first times that I played in front of a Laban crowd that was truly um, standing room only. They packed that place. The energy was insane. I wouldn't have wanted to be a visiting team in that arena. Um, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and I feel like you could scout all you want for Murray Fulplan. She's still going to find a way to score some goals and beat you. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Is she the greatest women's hockey player of all time, in your opinion? Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I would think so. I just, I look at, you know, the way that she's, played so consistently over the years and I just don't think you can argue with it like she has built such a resume of accomplishments and achievements like yeah she is she's the goat and she's clutch too which is an American it hurts me a little bit because she's broken my heart a lot of times um in those international yeah. tournaments so yeah yeah well, you play in your first Frozen Furrow, like I sort of mentioned, against Minnesota and Minneapolis. Uh, what was mm -hmm. that border battle like for you? Because I feel like that's probably the coolest one to do, a border battle at the Frozen Four in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. I would prefer it if it was in Le Bon, but <laughs> <laughs> Why does Le Bon never host the Frozen Four, though? I don't get that. It's a great question. <laughs> um, I think it might have something to do with, like, locker room space. It's some they really do it at the Cold Center. I know. I know. <laughs> You're preaching the choir here, um, <laughs> but no, the, the border battles always get really hyped up and I had never understood a rivalry like this until I got to play in one. And um, yeah, those games are always so exciting. The buildings get really loud. You're on the bench and you're starting to get frustrated with their band and all the fans and um trying to just stay focused on you know the task at hand and what you're doing but it is kind of hard not to get involved <laughs> and obviously those minnesota teams were loaded they had uh lee steckline hannah branch to name a couple of players uh how, yeah. what was it sort of like going against those olympic players every uh, time you played against them it's exciting right i think it's what you really look for um or look forward to as a player is getting to play against the best of the best and um they really held you accountable, which is both intimidating and really exciting because you get to see where you can push yourself to. Um, and for a young player, when you're able to, uh, you know, play them the right way and have success, it's a huge confidence builder. Um, but you knew that the next shift, you were going to be right back at it. And they were going to try and find something new to do to just absolutely embarrass you. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think like playing against the best of the best is what you want when you're at that level. And they certainly were and still are. Yeah, I would say that I don't know if this is a controversial take or not, but I think Lee Steckline's the best American defender of all time. I, I really, I really, I really feel like defensively, she's one of the best to ever do it every time I watch her play. Yeah, she's just got this like calm, reassuring kind of sense of composure on the blue line. Um, and she's a great human being. I got to play with her a little bit in uh, the PWHPA, which was, you know, it's awesome when you get to play with 
with people that you've played against for years. Um, and she, she really is. She's a great person. She's super kind, but when you get on the ice with her, yeah, it's no, nothing's being held back. Now you won your second WCHA championship against Minnesota your sophomore year. What did this one mean to you since I feel like you probably got the chance to play and it was sort of a turning point, like you said, for your freshman WCHA championship game. But also mm-hmm. something that I noticed is you guys uh, shut, that, were, shut out every team you played in that entire playoff run. So defensively, it must have been fun to sort of uh, be such a lockdown defense with a great goalie behind you, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And Renee's not <laughs> half bad, right? <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I remember that season. Um, I think we were leading the nation in lowest goals allowed, possibly. I'm not sure, but we got some uh defensive accolade and um Anne Renee set a you know an NCAA record that year. And it's always unique in team sports when you get to celebrate those individual accomplishments. Cause you don't get to do that that often, right? Your team sport, you're going after the team goals. Um, but that year we were just rolling, right? We knew what we needed to do and there was no way that anybody else was going to come and mess our game plan. Um, and obviously being a part of a decor that had that much success is, is always really rewarding. You made it back to the Frozen Four, this time in Durham, New Hampshire, losing to Minnesota in overtime. Uh, just talk about that particular Frozen Four experience, uh, getting the play at the East Co- in the East Coast, because I feel like all the, the only time they ever come to the East Coast is in New Hampshire. So that must have been cool for some of your teammates to sort of get the chance to play closer to home in such a big, big game like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure uh, that year how many East Coasters we had. Um I'm but, saying Ontario. It's like the closest. Oh, yeah. Ontario. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I guess you can call us East Coasters. <laughs> uh, for this example, yes. I wouldn't say you're yeah. East Coasters, but like the closest <laughs> you'll be to an East Coaster, I guess, in the women's college hockey world. Yeah. Um, oh, man. What do I? It's so funny. You don't think about like the, I don't know, the games that frequently anymore. I remember things from the seasons and, um, but I do remember New Hampshire being like beautiful when we got there, but, um, I had an exam the night before the game. <laughs> um, that rink was huge Yes. It, before they resized it. It was a lake, but, um, yeah, really, I keep saying it, but it, like, I look back on it now and it was all just so much fun. There's a lot of pressure for sure when you come in as that number one ranked team every year. Um, but enjoyed the heck out of it. Obviously, it wasn't the result that we wanted, but um, I think any time that you get to make it to that stage, it's an accomplishment in and of itself. Is it crazy that that Frozen Four was seven years ago? Yeah, yeah. Now you're really making me feel old. <laughs> and it's coming back to New Hampshire next uh, season. So maybe you can reminisce a little bit uh, when that takes place. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm glad they resized it because from what I was told, they were hard. It was hard getting recruits because of how big the rink was for the men's side. So because mm. a lot of those guys want to play any a pro hockey after they're done. And yeah. the huge rink doesn't help them prepare us as much as some of the smaller ones, which I found pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you take away the time and space uh, yeah. like that and by putting you on a smaller sheet, 
that was one of the biggest things that I noticed going over to Sweden was like, you just had so much more time and space and yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely kicked up the endurance as well. Now throughout your time with Wisconsin, you're, you were on one of the best teams in the country consistently ranked like in the top 10. So how did you sort of maintain that consistency throughout the season? And how did your team sort of handle the pressure of having that target on your back and sort of being one of the best teams in the country? Um, we just had a, a group where the expectation was from all of us, not like not from our coaches, but our expectation was to be at number one. So when we weren't there, we were angry and we were hungry and we wanted to, you know, we almost took like personal offense to it. If we, um, I think one, one week we might've tied a game instead of winning it and it dropped us down to two and everyone was like, all right. Sure. Yeah. Let's do this. Um, so I don't know that we necessarily felt it as a, as a target on our back, but like it was our spot. It was where we were supposed to be and we were going to do anything and everything to keep us there. Um, which you know what, that is a lot of fun being in that position and, and playing with that is, is different, but, um, yeah, like I said, that's where you want to be. I do want to ask, what's it like being coached by Mark Johnson? I feel like you probably have a different perspective on it now being a coach yourself. He seems like such a calm guy on the bench, but I would mm-hmm. be super intimidated by him because he always, I never see him smile. So, yeah. yeah, he's kind of got that perma like <laughs> thinking face. So it was like, yeah, <laughs> um, he is. Yeah. What you see on the bench is really how he is as a person. He's very even keeled. Um doesn't get too high or too low, but he's got so much knowledge to share. Um, doesn't talk about like the miracle stuff ever. I would ask him about that all the time though. <laughs> yeah. Right. But yeah, it's not, it's not something he, he talks about too much. It was just kind of like another thing that he did. Um, I think one of the, the biggest uh, things that I took from him as a player was that sense of you could be up six nothing or down six nothing and as a head coach it's not your job to um kind of like lose your head or try to you know get your team fired up like if you think that they're not playing well it's not about going into the locker room and yelling at people and and trying to get them fired up it's it's about trying to problem solve all the time um and it's about being consistent because if you're consistent the players know what to expect from you and then they can go and do their job on the ice um but yeah he was really awesome loved playing for him um yeah i I don't know if you saw the video they did this thing the ncaa did where it's like they asked the players to make the sound of your mascot for the frozen four all the coaches and obviously it was kind of funny but mark johnson had the best one he's like I'm not sure what a badger makes. Uh, you know, we'll just have to find that. Like he didn't answer the question. It was just that was so funny. He had the best response to it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He he's gonna avoid uh, answering <laughs> questions like that for sure. I just thought it was funny though. That's that made me laugh when I saw that. That was probably my favorite response to it. So, 
That's hilarious. I think it's kind of funny because I feel like a lot of coaches now are sort of like that where like I was watching the Panthers game a few weeks back and I like Paul Maurice. He's obviously a very good head coach, but mm-hmm. whenever there's a missed call, he's like yelling at the rest like this effing sucks. And he's like yelling at guys <laughs> to get fired up. I don't know. Is it a difference between coaching uh, men versus women? I'm just curious about that. Um, You know, I don't. I don't know necessarily that there's or is that it just like an NHL a, college difference? Maybe that could be it too. Yeah, I I think there is a, a little bit of like new school leadership versus old school is more like the direction that we're going in. Um, and when I think about like I'm really not a yeller, I don't like to yell at athletes for really anything. Um, I'd rather like get curious with them and ask them questions and to be honest, if you're yelling at the refs, you're not going to do much to help your team because the ref is just going to like look at you and be like, yeah, I'm tired of you doing this. So <laughs> the arm's going to go up a little bit more for the red jerseys. Um, but yeah, I think the difference with with uh, men and women is women are really analytical in the way that they think. So as a coach, if you leave a lot to the imagination and the direction you're giving or the feedback you're giving, women are going to look into that on like generally speaking. Right. So they're going to analyze everything that you haven't said and read into it. Whereas men will just take it at face value and go, all right. Okay. Um, And feedback wise, the majority of women don't respond well to the yelling to like putting you down kind of thing. It doesn't fire them up. Like it does guys. It just makes them feel like crap about themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think I think there is a different approach to it, but um, you know the trajectory that we're seeing. I work in leadership coaching on the corporate side as well, and what we're seeing all over the place in corporate is all of this research coming out that basically says like that old school leadership where it's like command and control. You do as I say. You don't ask why. If you do something wrong, you're going to hear about it, but you're not going to hear from me if you do something well. Yeah, it doesn't work. It yeah. doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You need to tell some of those NHL coaches that because every time I watch it, <laughs> they're always yelling at the refs. It's crazy. But mm-hmm. I remember listening to a thing from Guy Godowski, who's the coach of Penn State men's hockey. And he yeah. says he hates yelling at his players. He says, like, first of all, no player likes it. So you're not helping them out at all. And it just yeah. makes everyone stressed. And as a coach, you're supposed to try to be as calm as possible. And I totally agreed with him on it. It's like, I don't think yelling solves many, as many problems as people might think it does. Yeah. Like when you, it's, it's exactly that, right. You start yelling at somebody and you're telling them that you're upset with them. And now they're not thinking about the task at hand. They're thinking about the fact that you're pissed off and you're not happy with them. And they're probably now worrying about like, Oh, I'm not going to get another shift. Or if I make another mistake, I'm going to get kicked out of lineup tomorrow. And that doesn't help them do their job. So as a coach, why would I make it harder for them to do their job? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So your team made it all the way to the NCAA championship game against Clarkson your junior year. That's the furthest you've ever made it uh, during your playing career at Wisconsin. I want to ask you sort of about that game, because how did your team handle that loss? And how have you reflected on that game uh, since it was the closest you've ever came to a national championship? I feel like if I were in that situation, I'd be thinking about it a lot just because like, man, like I was one game away from winning a national championship and I don't know. It's just something I would reflect on a lot. So I'm just curious what it's like from your perspective. Yeah. Um, when I think back on that game, I 
I think about like playing against the, a team that had figured us out and was so willing to stick to their game plan, regardless of whether or not it was like pretty hockey or whatever, that we didn't have an answer for it. Um, and obviously I think it was, uh, Kaylee Mercer had like the game of her life and had two goals and found a way to beat Anne, which, you know, hadn't happened a lot that year, um, or any year that Anne played quite frankly. But, um, yeah, when I look back on it now, um, obviously it was heartbreaking. I remember sitting in the locker room after him and being absolutely devastated because you are that close. Um, but, uh, one of my like friends growing up from Windsor, who I played on Southwest with was on Clarkson. So, you who know, was having to, uh, Lauren Leffler. Okay. Yeah. So having to, to suck it up and then go out and see her and our, uh, our strength coach from back home came to watch. And I remember taking a picture with, um, it was me and Lauren and then him. And he ended up posting uh, something on Instagram following that. And and he said, what a unique opportunity to see up close and personal the two sides of a win and a loss. And um, yeah, it, it was something that stuck with me for a long time. It motivated my training for that entire summer. Um, I was in the best shape of my life probably after that. I was so hungry. Because you get that close and it's like not getting there isn't enough. So, yeah. <laughs> Haley Mercer is a name I have not heard in a long time. I wonder what she's up to now. She was a good player for them. Yeah, yeah. I know she went and played in China for a couple of years when uh, the Kunlin Red Star team was there. But uh, we all move on from the game at some point, right? Yeah, I know. I just I, I kind of yeah. miss some of those players because like, I'll give you an example from Wisconsin. Presley Norby was uh, such a fun player to watch, and I have no mm -hmm. clue what she's up to now. It's crazy how things work out that way. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. Well, getting back to sort of your senior year, you're named assistant captain of the team. What sort of type of leadership did you want to bring to the team? Were you more of a vocal leader or lead by example type of player that year? Um, I always did my best to be a little bit of both. Um, I loved like having the opportunity to, to talk in front of the team. Um, and I loved facilitating like, uh, hard conversations, but the majority of my vocal leadership came in just asking people how they were doing. I was kind of like your socio-emotional leader in that group where, um, I was the first person to check in with people and just say, Hey, how are you doing today? Like, you look like you're struggling. Is there anything I can help you with? Um, and then, yeah, on the ice, I was just, you'd never catch me going 50% in a drill. I couldn't do it. Um, and at the same time, I was a player that started out my college career so afraid to make mistakes that I beat myself up in between drills. So I always kind of paid attention for people that might have been struggling just to, you know, share a little bit of what I had learned over my years. So I think it was a bit of both. And obviously you played your final college hockey game against Colgate in that Frozen Four. Uh, since it's been five years since you graduated, what have you taken away from your Wisconsin hockey experience and the players you got to play with? Oh, what a good question. 
that game at, in uh, Minnesota against Colgate is still so fresh in my mind. Um, that was another heartbreaking one. I think we went to two or three OTs and uh, the game before us had done the same. They went into at least one overtime. So that game didn't finish until like midnight. Um, but that's kind of besides the point. Um, what have I, what did I learn? Um, you can have the most talented team in a league and still not do it. You can have a team that nobody thinks is going to do anything and do better than you ever thought. But the thing that I learned the most was that culture is what makes your team. And uh, my senior year was a centralization year. So we lost, you know, Annie Pankowski, we lost Emily Clark um, and a couple other players that had graduated. And I think everybody, I remember seeing an article, people were talking about our team and they were like, what are they going to do? And that was probably one of the best years in college that I ever had because all of us came together as a team and said like, what, what do they mean? What are we going to do? we're going to be the best. That's what we're going to do. Um, and yeah, I think that was the year that we didn't have like the storybook. We won WCHA and then we went on to win it all. Uh, we won the league. And then I think we actually lost WCHAs, but then went into the tournament um, ranked two, I think. But yeah, it was, it was one of the best years that I had because our culture was so good. That's crazy hearing that like you can have the most talented team and not win. And I feel like that's so true. Like it's, mm -hmm. I don't know, like I remember the team that I won a championship for and it's sort of, we weren't the most talented team, but like we found a way to get the job done. And I feel like yeah. that's a lot of championship teams. Cause like last year with the men's championship, Minnesota probably had like the best players in college hockey all year. And Quinnipiac mm -hmm. found a way to get the job done. And obviously it was all, they won it on a face-off pretty much. And then they yeah. executed that play correctly. And sometimes it all it takes is just these little things to sort of win games. And it's just what makes hockey such a good sport, in my opinion, because it's like you can have the best players and it doesn't mean you're going to win all the time. Where I feel like in some sports, if you have the best players, you're usually going to win most games. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you on that for sure. I do have to ask you. So obviously Wisconsin won a national championship the year after you graduated. I'm wondering if yeah. you, like, does, does that ever make you laugh? Like, of course, like the four years I played there and then like they finally win it after I graduate. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I went, I went to that game because it was at uh, Quinnipiac and I was in grad school at Springfield college, which was like uh, probably two hours away. And my, like my two best friends were still on the team. So I went and watched and yeah, I remember being in the stands like, really? <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was awesome getting to, getting to see them do that. And then to be there for it too, was pretty cool. Yeah. And obviously they're still doing it uh, even this year. So must be a proud alum though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And then the kind of like the really cool part for me now as a coach is um, Mark isn't just my old coach anymore. He's kind of a colleague and getting to hear him talk about the year that they had and, and the start that they had and how they really had to figure things out and come together as a team. Um, I'm sure that that was an extremely rewarding year for them. And you're not the only uh, Wisconsin coach that's coaching in the NCAA now, obviously LIU. And it's kind of cool yeah. that seeing there's a Mark Johnson tree, I'll call it, um, yeah. around women's college hockey. So mm -hmm. what made you want to be a coach after your pro career? 
Uh, good question. Cause while I was a player, I absolutely never wanted to be a coach. Um, I didn't think it was something that I would enjoy ever. Um, but when I got to Sweden, um, the team that I was playing for in the SDHL, the cool thing about it is like, they have girls that have been playing pro for years that might be 30 years old. And then they have some of these high school kids that are coming up that they try to develop. So as a 26 year old player, who's gone through college and played a little bit professionally, getting to meet some of these, you know, 16, 17, 18 year old kids and getting to mentor them through like, Hey, you should try this instead, or think about maybe doing this or giving this a try. I think I found my kind of passion for that within that year. Um, and then while I was there, obviously Stonehill was getting started. Um, it was their like recruiting year and a good friend of mine, um, Megan Myers was already on, on staff. And while I was there, she kind of just said, you know, do you think you're going to play next year? What are you, what are your plans? I go, I don't really know. Like, I think this would be a good year for me to go out on. And, uh, she goes, well, if, if you don't want to play anymore, you might want to apply for a job here. (laughs) So, Yeah. What's it been like being a coach at Stonehill for the last two years working for Tara? Because Tara, I had her on the podcast last month. Yeah. Nice, one of the nicest people I think I've ever met in my life. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, Canadian, right? Um, <laughs> well, you wouldn't know that she like, won a gold medal and has accomplished all these amazing things. Like if you ever met her in person, which I think is the coolest mm-hmm. part about her. Yeah. Yeah. She is extremely humble. Um, so hardworking and dedicated to women's hockey. Um, I would have to remind her every now and then like, Hey, Tara, we're not going to talk about hockey right now. We're going to talk about us as human beings because she just always wants to be in it. She's so passionate about it. Um, and ultimately I think is like one of the things that's going to push BU into a whole new stratosphere of performance. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, working with her was awesome. You, when you're new as a coach and you're not used to seeing like everything behind the scenes. And you assume that, you know, like your coaches have all this free time because all they have to do is show up for practice. She and look cool behind the bench during. Oh, yeah. And look cool behind the bench. (laughs) Like, that's all they have to do. She was so methodical in the way that she did things that it was like really eye opening for me in terms of like, holy cow, coaches do so much work behind the scenes. Um, But it was also great getting to work for her. because she's a big proponent of the mental side of the game. And that's obviously what I specialize in um, working with elite. And um, she really pushed me to, to bring, you know, mental skills training into the things that we were doing every day and really gave both myself and Megan a lot of responsibility in terms of how we wanted to run the bench um, decisions that we wanted to make within games. It was, it was a lot of fun working for her. Oh yeah. She's the best. And I remember talking to her and one of the things I asked her was like, so obviously student athletes, whenever you hit roadblocks, like, do you expect them coming? She's like, yeah. Like one of the things I found interesting was sort of the homesickness that takes place during Thanksgiving break. And I never really thought about, it's like, oh, that's right. That does happen. It's like sort of the little mental side of things that student athletes have to go through. It's something that I wouldn't think of as a fan that, but it's like, yeah, that's right. That stuff does happen. And it's sort of cool to hear how she was sort of aware of it. Yeah, yeah, we call it the dark days of November. 
I do want to, there was one thing I did want to talk to you about. So I had Mia Kenmore on the podcast uh, a couple of days ago. Yeah. She said that Megan Myers predicted that she was going to score the first goal in Stonehill program history <laughs> on the, uh, on the bleachers of that game against UConn. I want to yeah. ask if that story is true. I need a, needs a source to confirm it. Yep. It is true. <laughs> yeah. We all, we all kind of like made our own predictions. I can't even remember what mine was now, but um yeah, it was Megan picked Mia and I remember she scored that goal and like I just looked back at Megan like are you kidding? <laughs> but yeah. That's awesome. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Well, do you know what your non-conference schedule is going to be? I will always like to ask. I could do a whole podcast about non-conference schedules. So I was wondering if you could uh, confirm those for not or they're still in the still tentative right now. You know we're playing Maine for sure. Mhm. Yeah, um, not. I think there's a couple other in there that are tentative. Don't want to give it away, but <laughs> nice. Yeah, are you gonna? Is will be? A, will there be a Tara Watchhorn homecoming game uh, at BU in the future? I should say. Uh, maybe in the future. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, one more question, I guess, before I end this interview is just for all the younger players that are listening to this pod. What advice would you give them on what it takes to make it to college hockey? Oh. Wow, that's a loaded question because there's so many things I could say. I think the biggest one is like, don't try to be perfect and don't expect yourself to be making mistakes is okay. And scouts in the stands aren't watching you literally every single second that you're on the ice. So stop judging yourself so harshly. Learn to look at your mistakes as ways to learn and grow um, and understand that it's your journey and your journey is going to look different from somebody else's. So if you're constantly comparing yourself to someone else, it's not going to help you. So kind of learn to take on that growth mindset of making mistakes is okay. You're going to learn from them and you're going to get better from them and then trust in the process. That's awesome. I remember when uh, Connor McDavid made a mistake in practice, they mic'd up one of the coaches and he's like, he's human. And I just, And that's what I feel like most players should know is like even the best players always make mistakes during practice. So, yeah, I mean, it's the only way you learn, right? Like if you're constantly perfect at things, you're never pushing yourself to get better. So best of the best make mistakes. Any shout outs you want to give and who should we have on the pod next? Um, I'm assuming, you know, some cool people that we should talk to. So any, any shout outs for people to have on a pod. Um, Man, that's another great question. I don't, man, that's hard to answer on the spot. I'm sorry. I, I thought I sent you. <laughs> I did send you some of the questions, so. I, I read through them, but I must have missed that one. <laughs> I mean, I think if you can get someone like Abby Rock on here, you'd have a time with that conversation. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Lauren, for coming on the pod. I appreciate your time. It means a lot to myself. I really enjoyed this conversation today, and I wish you nothing but the best with Stonehill next season. I know you guys are going to do great. And uh, have a great summer. Enjoy the recruiting, and uh, hopefully you find some talented players that come to Stonehill uh, in the near future. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. Smile that makes the sun rise